Focus. Focus. The tide is coming in. But we've just begun our picnic. We aren't done with our game. Collect your beach blankets and playthings while you can. For the tide waits. For no man. All right, welcome to our conference championship review. This is Processing College Football, College Football Podcast, designed to educate and entertain. My name is Jason Randazza. I'm your host, and with me, co-hosting as always, Mark Catlin. Every week, we process the highlights of the college football world, and I make Mark explain everything I don't understand. Uh, This week, uh, of all weeks, uh, most everything makes total sense here at the end, but Man, oh man, was there drama getting to the end. Um, But after all the drama and all the many strokes that occurred this past weekend, how are you, Mark? Uh, I'm doing well. Uh, That was uh, quite an SEC championship game. And yeah, I... uh, (laughs) Amongst other things. I was... Yeah. I mean, many strokes is is a good way to put it. It was not... I wasn't doing great until the very end. Until about like 10 minutes left in the fourth quarter. Yeah. So, uh, um, so the only term we really need to define this week is redemption and redemption, I think is a term we need to define really mostly for us, you and me, uh, for those listeners who are actually sticking with us after last week's episode, I appreciate it. I really do. (laughs) Um, in the show notes, uh, last week, I, I commented on the second half audio issues, which I recognized uh, was a problem during editing, so I had I, I used a secondary source, uh, but then when I converted to MP3, apparently everything just got worse. Uh, this issue, uh, I think it was mostly on Mark's end, um, but for some reason, when I merged the secondary audio, it actually popped up on, on mine, uh, and my audio got janky, uh, or maybe I just want to blame this all on Mark, but... Um, That's what it sounds like to me. Pro- probably. Which is I fine. Get, which is fine, you know, whatever. <laughs> Good. Well, I'm, I'm the one with the audio editor. Um, so I won't get too into the weeds, but I really thought that our typical practice of you and I actually record like two copies. So you record a copy on your end. I record a copy on my end. And then I record like a joint copy of both of ours uh, on my end as, as well. Um, and so I thought that that would save us, but it didn't. And I realized that there were – I realized actually that there was an issue like the next day when I was – on my way to work and I was listening to it and I was like, Oh my goodness, this, uh, this sounds awful. And I, I I still don't understand it, but I'm hoping that again, I have some like redemption this week, but I I had to pull the podcast. Um, so if you out there still have it in your feed, hold on to it. That's a, that's a collector's item. Um, (laughs) (laughs) anyway, uh, yeah. So I'm hoping for some redemption anyway. So yeah, redemption, the term to define this week. And there was a redemption storyline with UAB, uh, more on that later. And then there was also a redemption, a redemption storyline for Alabama, mm-hmm. which is kind of stupid. Uh, a program as successful as Alabama has been, should not be able to tell us anything about redemption. But, uh, even our friend Philip noted that, uh, he's clearly not an Alabama fan. He said that it was incredible for Bama to basically make itself go from being the quote-unquote evil empire uh, to having a heartwarming uh, story of redemption. Mm-hmm. But they found a way, and we're going to get into it. Uh, that's just, that's so just how gonna... amazing Nick Saban is. He, he, can be at all, I know. he can be at all at the same time. <laughs> it was all plotted out in X's and O's on his way. It was. It was. Uh, <laughs> with a giant X right over my heart. Hey, Tua, um, Tua go out and just be terrible. And then we'll put Jalen <laughs> in and everything will be fine. 
Um, so uh, I'm not going to actually tell you, Mark, to define uh, redemption because our recap will do that. Mm. But before we recap, for those of you at home, uh, if you have questions you want us to answer, topics you want us to discuss, or terms you want us to define, then send them in. Uh, you can reach us on Twitter at ProcessingCFB or email us, ProcessingCollegeFootball at gmail.com. So uh, as we mentioned, the the conference championship weekend was this last week and this is the, the recap pod so uh regular season's over conference championships are over uh so the committee came out with their final rankings uh and i'm not going to keep anyone in suspense who hasn't heard uh number one is alabama number two is clemson number three is notre dame and number four is oklahoma so this means that uh, alabama and oklahoma will play in the orange bowl clemson and notre dame will play in the cotton bowl uh on december 29th i think uh Clemson and Notre Dame play at 4 p.m. and then Alabama, Oklahoma at 8. Um, yeah, so that's kind of how things stand. And really, as I said, things kind of make a lot of sense because Alabama, Clemson, and Notre Dame, we just kind of assumed that they were going to be in. Um, you know, like they just had to play through the conference championship. So those aren't surprising. The fourth spot was always in, in debate because it was Georgia before this weekend. Um, and there was some thinking even afterwards that because of the way they played Alabama, it would still be Georgia. Uh, but that didn't really make any sense because that put them at two losses. But anyway. But I don't know if you saw Bill Hancock, who leads the committee, mm-hmm. his comments. They said there were people who had the, – the debate at the end for the fourth spot was between uh, Oklahoma, Georgia, and Ohio State all together. And Georgia ended up five ahead of Ohio State. He said there were people that had uh, on the committee uh, all the different orders were represented. Um, and so there were people who did vote uh, Georgia for that fourth spot. So for me, this kind of like went down to, okay, if you if the specific question you're asking me is who are the four best teams, would I put Georgia in there? I probably would. But I was almost kind of regarding the SEC championship as, I don't know, like a semi-semifinal or something, you know. So they, they already played that round and they lost and so – uh, we already know the outcome of that. Well, and, and, uh, and the season has to matter, right? I mean, it can't just be who's the most talented team at the end or playing the best. They lost to LSU, and they lost to them handily. This is their second loss, and so it's a, it, that has to matter at the end of the day, even if they look great against Alabama. It's just they shouldn't be in the playoff. It would have been a disaster, I think, if they put them in there. Yeah, no, for a lot of reasons. Um in any case, uh, you and I actually had a group text going this past weekend, and we could probably do the recap of the weekend justice, just <laughs> having a dramatic reading of that thread, but we, we won't do that. Um, so so let's review. Why don't we re- recap conference championship week? Let's do it. All right. So first up, we are going to talk about the SEC championship. Uh, it was number fourth ranked Georgia versus number one ranked Alabama. Alabama was expected to win by just under two touchdowns. It uh, started at 4 p.m. on CBS, and as the sun was going down, the heat was turning up. So here's – I'm just going to give our listeners a quick run-through, and we can break it down in more detail afterwards. But for me, Georgia looked good through much of this game. Uh, Bama also looked bad through most of it. Bama's first drive ended – in Tua throwing an interception, and that wasn't even his only one of the night. So Tua uh, also suffered a couple tackles, and everybody's thinking, oh, is he hurt? Is that why he's playing this way? Um, But uh, after one particularly, I don't know, uh, 
ugly looking tackle. He, he it, we thought he was going to be out, but he came back and played the next snaps. Um, but as I said, Georgia looked pretty good. We joked earlier in the season about how like CBS Sports or something had like a Chiron, uh, you know, a little quote at the bottom of the screen that said that uh, Georgia was something like 11 and 0 in games in which DeAndre Swift scored a touchdown. Well, he scored two touchdowns in the first half of this game uh, and really made it it's look pretty like much all you so needed far. to know at that point. Yeah, Right. I was like, well, he already scored. What's the point yeah. anymore? Yeah. Um, and for a second one, Alabama wasn't even covering him. It seemed insane. Um, <laughs> Guys, there's one job. Just keep him out of the end. There's Everybody one else can score on the team. That's but not right. it. What you do you don't do? need 11 people for that. Come on. Come on. Just run it DeAndre Swift. <laughs> anyway. Um, at one point, Georgia was up 21 to seven with less than two minutes left in the half. Uh, and Josh Jacobs runs a ball, fumbles it in the end zone, but he recovers it to make it a touchdown. So even when Alabama was doing things that should be good, there was a little asterisk, you know? And so it's, it's 21 to 14 at the half. And everyone thinks it's kind of analogous to maybe the first half of the Citadel game or the Auburn game. Um, and that Saban will make you know, retool, make adjustments in the half, and Alabama will come out of the gate hot. But that did not happen. Tua continues to struggle, throws another interception. Uh, he also passed to Jalen Waddle for a touchdown. Uh, but still, nothing really seems to be going that well. I, th- I think most people thought that Georgia was probably going to win this handily. Um, uh, but nothing seems to be going that well. And then finally, with about 11 minutes left in the game, Tua does suffer that injury, which we had... Uh, I don't know, seen coming the whole, the whole game, which sidelines him. He goes off into the, the medical tent. Uh, and his stats to this point in the game were 10 of 25 completions for 164 yards, one touchdown, two interceptions. This put his, you know, that QBR rating at like 16 or something. Uh, so now it's time to put in Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts, the backup, who was replaced 11 months earlier by Tua, playing against the same team in the same stadium, Jalen Hurts, who decided to stay at Alabama even while knowing he was not likely to start again, um, and he comes in, throws for a touchdown on the drive he took over uh, on from Tua to equalize the game for the first time since it started. And so it's 28-28 with like five minutes left. Georgia won't score for the rest of the game. Um, They'll make an attempt to retain the ball on a fourth down, and (laughs) they will do some curious fake punt with 11 yards to go for the first down um the greatest the greatest play call i've ever seen in my life so it goes very poorly (laughs) the guy makes it like two yards it's like their backup freshman quarterback the guy makes it like two yards it gets tackled turns over the ball at the 48 yard line so i i sort of understand this play because first of all i i saw it coming the whole game because georgia has done the same play before uh and I think that it was one of those things like like the Nick Saban onside kick where he doesn't have to do it. But, of course, if it goes well and it goes right, then he looks like a genius. But this did not happen. So they end up turning the ball over. Well, um, well here's the thing. I, I understand the play call to an extent. Like, just theoretically speaking, that point in the game, that position of the field, you get a first down, it, it deflates Alabama's comeback, you go down and score, the game's basically over. Right. Right. But the the problem with the play call, continuing with the play call, is Alabama was in punt safe. They they had they were basically Alabama was basically in regular defense. They weren't even trying to return turn the ball. They weren't trying to block the punt. They had like 
down defensive linemen, and they had linebacker like just their regular defense out there. And so they were they were looking for this, right? So somebody on the sideline or anybody on the field basically should have said, "Hey guys, they're in punt safe. It would be great to do this, but this is the most ridiculous thing that we could possibly do right now." And so we're going to punt the ball instead. Yeah. Or call a timeout or, or something. And so it's not that that play call at that time, it's a gutsy, aggressive, risky call that if it doesn't go well, it's fine. But the situation was just impossible for them to actually execute that play because of what Alabama was in. And so I think that's why most people after were like, this is, that was just so dumb. It kind of um, yeah. gave the game to Alabama because I, th- I think it was. So anyway, I think that's, that's why it was. Uh, it's not that he took a risk. It's that it was the absolute wrong risk to take uh, with the right. defense Alabama was playing. Yeah, so as I said, yeah, they turn, this turns the ball over at Alabama's own 48-yard line. Jalen and Alabama offense drive up the field to the Georgia 15 where Jalen drops back, sees an opening, and runs the ball in for another touchdown. So this is there's like a minute left, scores 35-28, to 28, and that's where it'll stay. Alabama wins. Um this was a crazy game because i mean it is like a mirror image of the national championship uh and i I don't know so go ahead tell me your thoughts yeah so uh i mean it was absolutely insane for a whole lot of reasons um one to a injury or not he looked confused by george's defense his two interceptions were they weren't great plays by Georgia. They were just really bad throws from Tua. He threw. He was throwing into double coverage all night long when he had other guys that were open. Something was off, not only physically, but also the way that he was seeing the field. Georgia did a great job of confusing him on defense. And we just haven't seen that. We've seen him, you know, throw poorly, etc. But he, he just looked off. Uh, then it, he did get tweaked uh, early on uh, in that tackle right before his first interception. But the other thing with Tua that was strange is it could have been because of his knee, although they said it was healthy. It could have been because of his ankle that he tweaked on that, that early play. But he also just wasn't very mobile in the pocket or escaping and running. You didn't see him run at all. And I think that really limited to a, with kind of that, that special uh, extra stuff that he has where he gets out of the pocket and then makes a, you know, the play downfield and uh, things are breaking down, but he escapes, all that sort of thing. It was just completely absent. And what you saw happen, I think, when Jalen came into the game is when the same thing would start to happen, the pocket starts to collapse because there's good coverage or defensive line just gets through or whatever, Jalen would break away. And that, that, that his first uh, throw was to Irv Smith on a third and 12 for a first down. Just crazy. Then the next third down, he breaks out of the pocket, and he's sprinting toward the sideline and makes a beautiful pass to Jalen Waddle right on the sideline. But it's because he was able to get out of the pocket, be mobile, escape the pressure, and then make the throw. And Tua just didn't do that all night long. And then his second touchdown, I mean, his, his first touchdown to Jerry Judy was an amazing, accurate throw. Um, and then his second touchdown, where he ran it in. Right? He saw an opening and he was able to run it. And Tua just could not take advantage of open running lanes or escape the pocket and you know, escape for a first down or whatever. That was one of the biggest differences between Tua and Jalen. Um, and so I, that was one thing I saw between the two. The other thing, looking at just the, the Jalen redemption story for him, after he got benched last year and Tua came back, 
I, there's at least an argument to be made that that Jalen's comeback in this game was more impressive than Tua's from last year. Uh, Jalen entered the game with 11:07 left in the fourth quarter. Yep, he's only got a couple of possessions and he has to score. That Tua had an entire half. He was down 13. The offense had not scored. He's a completely unknown quantity at that time. People know what Jalen brings to the table. Mm-hmm. So and, and so it's not like they in Georgia shut Jalen down this year. Even mentally speaking, for Jalen, it could be tougher. After you got benched in this game last year, you've been on the bench the entire season. This is the game you're supposed to come in and win in the SEC championship game against this team. And he comes in and just does a phenomenal job. Not only that, when you look at this, uh, according to QBR at least, Tua had a worse game in this game than Jalen did last year. Tua's QBR was 15.1. You alluded to it earlier. That is mm-hmm. That's horrible. Everybody thinks Jalen had a terrible first half last year. He did. His QBR was actually higher than that. Not a not great by any means, but at 19.9. Sure. Tua's QBR last year when he came into the game was 70.7. Uh, pretty good, but not great. Jalen's mm-hmm. QBR in this game was 97.2. Yeah, uh, and, and we don't know what any of that means, but the higher number is better. Well, it's it's out of a hundred, so ninety-seven point two is is Q, it? No, Q, but QB rating and QBR are two different things. Okay, one of them is like can go as high as like 300, 400, 500, something really Some, high, something insane. Okay, uh, but this is QBR. It's a stat that I don't know ESPN gives you on GameCast sort of okay. thing. So uh, they're down by seven. Jalen's Jalen outscores Georgia by fourteen. Two outscores by thirteen. Um, so there's there's a statement to be made that Tua had a worse game uh, against mm. Georgia this year than Jalen did last year, and that Jalen had the more impressive comeback, given that he only had two possessions to get this done, and he did it. Touchdowns both times, running and throwing. And he really did it mostly with his arm, really accurate yeah. passes. So it, that whole thing is absolutely incredible. And not only did he get redemption and coming back and, and beating this team after Tua had a tough game, but he did it throwing the football. I, I felt I, I still think Jalen's probably going to transfer after this year because he's graduating, and, and he'll go somewhere he can start. I don't I don't think he's going to start over two. Although that would be an interesting development to continue to see is Jalen going to stay or not. But I sort of felt like man, this is his like he, he called it breaking his silence. I kind of felt like it was his interview for other teams to be able to say, mm-hmm. okay, has Jalen actually improved? Holy cow, has he improved? Mm-hmm. Uh, not only accurate throws, but reading the defense, getting out of the pocket. When he gets out of the pocket, knowing when to keep his eyes downfield and find an open receiver and knowing when to run. It, it was just an incredible performance for him. I'm super excited for him to be able to have this uh, comeback and have this kind of moment on such a big stage. Uh, one more thing about it. Uh, moving forward, it's going to be very interesting to see what happens in the Oklahoma game because Tua had surgery on Sunday the day after the game on his ankle. Mm-hmm. They say that that's supposed to take a couple of weeks. This is the same surgery that Jalen had earlier in the year when he hurt his ankle against, I think it was oh, it, Tennessee. Well, it is. It's it's not exactly the same, but it's similar. It, the high ankle sprain surgery to help it heal. And it took Jalen a month before he was really full speed in it practice. Sure did. It may be so, longer than that. And, and so I, I kind of went back. I think it was about a month for his full speed in practice. Um but that game, that game speed and being able to cut and plant and all that stuff and that escapability that Tua has, it's going to require him putting pressure on that ankle. Uh, and I mean, just throwing the ball does as well. But I think it's going to be really interesting to see is Tua able to practice? Is he going to be ready for the game? Or is Jalen actually going to get the start against Oklahoma in that first playoff game? I think it's something to watch. But 
the way that he performed, I, I, I don't know that I'm too worried about Jalen against Oklahoma and that defense. I, I might be a little more worried or a lot more worried if Jalen's got to start against Clemson, but it'll just be really interesting to see how long does this redemption narrative continue? Is Jalen going to be called upon to uh, come back against Georgia and win? Redemption story from last year. And mm-hmm. is he potentially going to be called upon if they get to the national championship game to beat Clemson? Right. And, and, and avenge the national championship loss that, yeah, so, I mean, talk about redemption. Uh, those are all hypothetical situations, and Nick Saban hates those. I like them. And so to, to think about that potential kind of story of redemption there for Jalen is is pretty intense. So anyway, I, I, it was just interesting to look at how parallel the situations were, situation that Jalen came in, maybe even a little bit worse and more pressure-packed uh, than the one that Tua came into, although you can make an argument the other way. Uh, but that story and his ability to come in and, and do what he did was genuinely incredible. And um, I couldn't be happier for the guy. I mean, Gary Danielson said something cheesy, but also true. Like in, in the in the year of uh, transfer quarterbacks, Jalen stayed. And it's true. You know, he stayed and now he gets this gets this moment to be able to redeem himself. And Lyndon or Dan Enos, the quarterback's coach and show that he has improved as a quarterback and a pocket passer. So mm-hmm. anyway, I, I couldn't be happier for Jalen. I've um, been on Jalen's side of this thing for a long time, cheering for him. And so it's, it's super exciting to see. Uh, agree. So I want to go back to something you actually said when we reviewed the national championship. So Tua came in, he was very successful. And you said, well, some of that success can be attributed to the fact that that Georgia wasn't able to scheme for for Tua. Yeah. So, how much of Jalen's success would you say uh, is because they weren't able to or weren't planning to scheme for Jalen? It's. I mean, it's possible. Um, but they've the, Kirby and those guys have seen Jalen. It's not like Jalen has completely changed who he is. He's still sure. a, a running quarterback. They they know what he can do. He's a little more ac- accurate of a thrower, but it's not like he came in and they're like, wait, Jalen Hurts, what does he do as a quarterback? He does the same stuff. Sure. He's got okay. a powerful arm. He can run the football. I I, I thought you were going to bring this up, and I meant to say it. Uh, uh, go outside the Jalen Tua thing. The other thing that was parallel in those games, Tua's comeback, Jalen's comeback, is the defense stepped up in the second half uh, and, and helped Tua and helped Jalen. Uh, the offense in the first half for Georgia, they were running all over Alabama's defense. Sure. I mean, it seemed well, like all, they couldn't Offensively, through the air, I, I mean, yeah, every, everything. stats from Jake Fromm are really good, too. Well, well, th- well uh, that's a great point. Kudos to Jake Fromm. Uh, the running game uh, was awesome for Georgia. Uh, I, I looked at the stats. Shockingly, somehow, we outrushed Georgia. That, that was a weird stat to me. But In the end, sure, yeah. Um, it didn't feel like that. Um, but... <laughs> Dude, Jake Fromm had an incredible game throwing the football. The guy, his some of his touchdown throws, his passes along the sideline, those guys were covered, and he put it in a really small window, only where his guy could get it, and they made catches. I was thoroughly impressed with Jake, Jake Fromm. And mm-hmm. Gary Danielson, again, said it. He said yeah, at the beginning of the telecast, he said, you know, people think Jake Fromm's a game manager. He's become a weapon, and I think he ended up proving that. He was deadly accurate. Um, and really picked us apart, but it, they weren't they weren't playing bad defense in the secondary. Those guys were covered. It was just it was good defense. It was better offense, and it, 
I mean, there were, there were a couple of touchdown throws. Was like, I mean, guys, there's nothing you can do. If, if that's how yeah. he's going to throw the ball, it's just it's a touchdown. And so you just got to come back from that. But defensively, after that first series in the in the second half, where I was like, we might lose 52 to 14. I mean, 21, this is just insane. Um, they just marched down the field. We got the ball first, didn't do anything with it. Georgia came down and scored. And there was, there was only two and a half minutes had lapsed, and we had had the ball, and Georgia had already scored. I was like, this is this might get really ugly. Um, and then they go down again, look like they're going to score again. Defense gets a stop. They missed a field goal, and everything changed after that. After that yeah. point, Georgia punted or fake punted. Um, and then it was the last play. It was a Hail Mary. Their offense didn't really do much after that, and that gave Jalen an opportunity to come back. And so just like in the national championship game where that second half, the defense really stepped up and played well. Uh, similarly, in this game, uh, the defense, whereas they looked absolutely porous on defense, they really uh, solidified things, stopped the run, played better in, the, uh, in pass defense, and gave, gave Alabama an opportunity to come back in the game. So I, all the way around in the first half, it looked like we were going to get destroyed. Um, and then the beginning of the second half, and then suddenly everything turned around. Uh, and that was pretty amazing to see. So anyway, it, you were saying, you know, like I said in the national championship game last year, Jalen did play amazingly, Tua did play amazingly, but our defense also turned it around, uh, and that's really what gave him the opportunity to win. Yeah. All right, so I think we've said about all we can about this one. Uh, for anyone wondering, Jake from. Uh, on 39 attempts, threw for over 300 yards and three touchdowns. So he actually threw for three of those touchdowns. Um, and we were very fortunate uh, as folks who cheer for Alabama that this did not come down to the kicking game. Uh, there were no field goals in this game even. Well, it was but, all touchdowns. But their guy who's like a – Rodrigo Blankenship. But he, he missed one. And that he was, that was huge. He, I mean, he's usually Elite automatic. Kicker, yeah. yeah. So, so that was huge. That was huge. Um the one, the one other thing I do want to note was uh, it was, it kind of just uh, put a bow on this this whole heartwarming moment at the end of the game. Uh, Nick Saban's approached by one of the sideline commentators, and uh, you know he was he was interviewed and asked kind of what you know the win, you know meant to him and what you know Jalen's performance meant to him, and in all the years of watching. Alabama play football. I'm not sure I've ever really seen Saban get emotional, but he was very emotional and choked up talking about Jalen Hurts. And who can blame him? Yeah, because yeah. the the story is incredible. And you know, a lot of articles you read say you know it's very rare for someone to get an opportunity uh, for redemption like like Jalen had here. Uh, and it's even more rare for someone to take advantage of it like he did. Well, and, um, and I think it. Really, Jalen embodies everything that Saban tries to coach more than anybody else he's coached. I think that's what it is. It's like I'm seeing, I think for Saban, he's always got something negative to say about something, a weakness to show. But as far as what he wants somebody to embody, their approach to the game, focusing on themselves and getting better, I don't know that he could look at Jalen and be like, yeah, you know, Jalen, you could really do this a little bit better in terms of the way that you prepare. He stuck around. He went through it all. And then when his number was called, he was ready because of his preparation. So I think that just, yeah, the emotions kind of overwhelmed him. His loyalty, his dedication, his preparation, his hard work, um, his character. And so it, it was a cool, cool thing to see uh, watching Saban get a little emotional. You know, uh, he's the evil empire, but and it's just a heartwarming story, too. 
100%. All right, so we did have other conference championships. They honestly were very lopsided. This one was the most balanced uh, we're going to talk about. The ACC had Clemson at the top of one of them, the Atlantic or Coastal, who can ever remember, uh, versus Pitt. They were a 26.5-point favorite, um, 8 p.m. on ABC. Clemson ended up winning this one 42-10, surprising no one. And like you and I were talking about before we recorded, this didn't tell us anything about Clemson. Uh, And... (laughs) We've spent years learning exactly all we need to know about Pitt, uh, where they either show up for these games or they don't. Um, And, you know, they put up 10 points, uh, which might be impressive if they were in the Pac-12. Then we had the Big 12, number six ranked Oklahoma, about a touchdown favorite over Texas, number 14th ranked. Um, Actually, Texas might have been higher than that. Uh, Anyway. So final score here was 39-27, to 27, Oklahoma wins. So Oklahoma had suffered one loss in the regular season, and it was this Red River rivalry uh, against Texas. So now that they played again in the Big 12 championship game, Oklahoma was able to say that they beat everyone on their schedule. Uh, and this was largely, it seems like, the reasoning that they got that fourth spot in the playoff over Ohio State. Uh, and over Georgia. Do you have anything to say about this one? Uh, no. No. Uh, so, uh, Texas, to their credit, their defense played fairly well. Uh, even though Oklahoma's offense still went over 500 yards. Um, but they they needed like 74 or some odd plays to do it. So... This might be some sort of glimpse about how Oklahoma performs against uh, an okay defense. So Alabama's defense, I think, is um, capable of, of doing much more. So uh, Oklahoma has put up you know, 40, 50 points in games before this season. So um, I don't know. Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess the one thing I would say is, uh, I mean, it was a fun game to watch, and there was a little bit of defense played in it. Um, but I, I, Kyler Murray is extremely impressive. Uh, 100%. And, uh, I think the, the thing he, in this game, given to his bad game and his good game here, I think Kyler Murray is going to win, the, end up winning the Heisman. But he, when he runs, he just looks like he's at a, going at a different speed. I don't like he throw the ball, but he, he's a fun athlete to watch and he can really take over a game. I think. Uh, it'll be really fun to watch Kyler Murray versus Alabama's defense uh, to see if we're able to bottle him up or slow him down at all because he's just he's a machine man. He's he's really fun to watch. So it's exciting to watch him, and I'm excited for the for the matchup against them. All right, then we had Big Ten Championship uh, Northwestern versus Ohio State. Ohio State favored to win this one by about two scores. Uh, final score here. 45 to 24. Now, actually, uh, I mean, there's a 21-point difference here, so it doesn't seem that close. But going into the half, Northwestern was really coming back, um, and it looked like they were going to make a game. But then I think they scored three points in all of the second half. So uh, just, again, one of those examples of uh, the the better team on paper able to outlast the, the other team. So Northwestern had a pretty good season. Um but it ends with them going to shoot. I didn't write that on their bowl game. 
<coughs> I'll let you know when we preview it. Um, do you have anything to comment on in this game? No. All right. Then we had the Pac-12 Friday night game. Utah against Washington. Washington favored by five and a half. This was a Friday night game. Final score, <laughs> 10 to 3, Washington. Jalen Hurts in 11 minutes. The backup quarterback for Alabama scored more points than Washington did this whole game. There was one touchdown the whole game, obviously. Uh, and then during the, the Pac-12 championship like award uh, ceremony at the end of the game, there were fans who were booing. And it could have been Utah fans, but I feel like they were probably all asleep. Uh, I think it was just fans of good or interesting football. I watched this game through the first half and then, you know, benevolent, benevolently, I, uh, I, I fell into a deep sleep. Um, so I didn't watch the second half, but apparently almost nothing happened. Um, did you watch any of this? I, I mean, I tried. It, it, yeah, it was it was so rough. I mean, you said they scored more points than Washington. Uh, you may have intended to say that they scored Jalen scored more points, more than, points than either of them than, than total, Can, both, uh, of them. Uh, both of them. Yes, just uh, it, it was insane. I I think in our text thread, my comment was this is just embarrassing for the Pac-12. I mean, this is your championship game, and it wasn't it wasn't like the old LSU Alabama games where it's six to three, and thirty five of those guys on. The roster on the defenses are going to go to the NFL. This was just bad football, um, and there were a couple of injuries on both sides that, that slowed them down a little bit. But it was like oh, this is just painful to watch. These aren't athletes flying all over the field playing great defense. It's just bad football. I thought it was super embarrassing for the Pac-12. I'm glad they're not in the playoff. They don't deserve to be. And so guys, maybe the most pointless game of the. Probably not the season, but definitely this past weekend. A hundred percent. So I and I think this also uh, probably a bunch of um, people who make scheduling decisions for ESPN and the like were pretty happy to see this outcome because they're like, all right, your championship game was ten to three. No wonder we don't score you or schedule you earlier, you know, in the day. Um, and we feel perfectly fine starting your games at 10.30 p.m. when nobody's going to watch them because they shouldn't uh, when you play like this. All right. Uh, the only other conference championship I have to talk about is Conference USA, uh, the big dog. This was UAB playing at Middle Tennessee State University in Murfreesboro. UAB, a point and a half dogs. Um, this was a repeat of the game they played the week before where they lost something like 26 to three, uh, final score here, 25 or 27, 25 UAB. Look, we've talked about UAB here before, obviously. Uh, this was a program that as you're aware was shut down four years ago and returned last season to go eight and five. And this year they made another strong run, nine wins in the regular season, cap it off with a 10th win in the conference championship, UAB has never had 10 wins. Uh, and on the fourth anniversary of the program being shut down, they get to sit in Birmingham thinking back on their 10-win season and the conference championship game that they won the night before. This is the feel-good story of the season. Or it would have been if Alabama didn't eat up all of the ink <laughs> in the sports writer's pens. Um, anyway, I'm, I was ecstatic 
for this one. And 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 frankly, you know, it happened earlier in the the day, and so uh, I really felt like Alabama could have totally blown that game against Georgia, and I would have still been happy with the way the weekend turned out. Um, this is really validating. I mean, it's for... it's it's genuinely incredible. Um, yeah, you know, uh, you could talk about is Jalen or two is comeback more impressive. UAB's comeback as a football program is more impressive, I think, than either, yeah. either of what they did. Um, because I would say that UAB, if you put, you know, like Jalen Hurts on the field and then the whole UAB team, I think that they could probably score more than Jalen or Tua <laughs> individually. Maybe. But if you gave if you gave Tua just one wide receiver, I don't know. If you gave him Jalen Waddle, it would be interesting. <laughs> um, no, but uh, – Genuinely incredible. I mean, how many Conference USA championships did UAB have before when they were programmed? Zero. Zero. I don't, I don't even know that they ever went to the – no, they never They never went to a conference championship. No. Uh, and it's genuinely incredible. One, just given the program's history that it was done for, now it's back, and now they're Conference USA champions. And that they lost to the same team last week rather handily. And then mm-hmm. were, they were able to come back and play at – MTSU uh, again and win in in dramatic fashion. I mean, uh, it's it's really hard to kind of put into words how incredible it is what they've done. It's just never re- really been seen before this sort of thing. Um, and so, uh, unbelievable story, great story of redemption uh, for UAB uh, and the University of Alabama system uh, had a pretty good weekend. Although I don't know if UAB would be celebrating the University of Alabama system. No. At all, no. But still, University of Alabama football team said pretty good weekend. Uh, yeah, and congratulations to, to Bill Clark, right? Yeah, so um, Bill Clark, now the highest paid coach in Conference USA. He signed again uh, with – or signed an extension with UAB, uh, which I'm really happy about uh, because I'm sure that he's a name being bandied about in uh, some of the, the Power 5 programs to, to be poached. But he'll be here at least through next year, and, uh, and I, I hope a lot longer because I, I mean the man's incredible. I'm not sure that he had a head coaching experience um, before UAB. I think he was coaching at Prattville, um, which is a high school in Alabama. But um, yeah, every season that he's been with UAB, he's uh, made them bowl eligible, which is something that was only accomplished once before he got there. Um, yeah, and, so uh, I mean. And it's incredible that he stayed. I think it's really great that he stayed because I'm sure people are trying to scoop him up uh, because, again, what they've been able to do is insane, and that, that's got to be a ton of credit to him and the way mm-hmm. that he's developed the program and recruited and coached and, and developed the players, et cetera. Um, and so it's awesome. I mean, maybe it, 1B, 1A, 1B, the, the best thing is just what the program's been able to do and UAB's experience of winning the championship one B behind that would have to be Bill Clark staying uh, and signing that extension. That's a huge win for, for them. So uh, hopefully, like you said, he sticks around more than just next year and for a while because it would be it'd be awesome to have UAB football be a thing that people in Birmingham can be excited about and develop that program to a powerhouse in the CUSA. It'd be great. Yes, sir. And hopefully we'll find out in a couple of weeks here whether or not he wins Coach of the Year. As you'll recall, last year they gave it to Scott Frost. Um, who's doing great things right Which now. Which I think he's in the running again this year. <laughs> he almost got them to a bowl. All right. So that's all of the reviews we have. 
And we really only have one game to preview. Army Navy. Yeah. So I also mean, called the game. The uh, the Army Navy game. Uh, it's it's got its own weekend to itself. Uh, for me, it's a uh, my brother-in-law went to the Naval Academy and all four years that he was at the Academy, we went to the army Navy game and it was really friggin' cold, but <laughs> it was, it was also pretty awesome. Just the pageantry associated with this game with, uh, both, uh, the midshipmen and the Corps cadets there, the, the Apache helicopters flying over the F-15s, uh, the president's normally there. It's just an, kind of an incredible scene, and the mutual respect that they have for one another because of what they what they do together uh, for the Navy. It's just an incredible scene. It's an awesome game, great atmosphere. Um, and so for me, although Navy looks pretty rough this year, mainly because Baker of three and nine. Yeah, because of their defense. Uh, they went on a string of uh, maybe it was 14, 15 wins in a row against the Army, which was insane. That that could be wrong, wow. but. Um, Army ended that streak, and now they look like they're kind of on the rise. Uh, but I, I got to go with Navy. I got to go okay. with Navy. I think the defense steps up, gets a couple of key stops. They went 24-21, and uh, go Navy, beat Army. Uh, are these both triple option teams? Oh, yeah. It's going to be – if you want to understand the triple option, watch this game. It's beautiful. So, uh, I mean, do these teams play any other triple option teams? Like – I mean, there are so uh, few. They, they play Air Force as the other academy. Uh, Air Force and they run the triple option as well. So, like a modified triple option this year. Uh, they, generally speaking, they run an option type offense. Um, I think I don't know if they play Georgia Tech or not. Uh, I mean, those are kind of the big um, triple option teams. But I see. Uh, but yeah, so I mean, I think it, one of the reasons I think Navy's defense will hopefully step up is they're playing a triple option team, which they should be used to the triple option. It's not a surprise to them. Whoa, what is this thing, right? So, I mean, hopefully the defense knows what that's supposed to look like. Um, and so I think the defense step up. Navy pulls out a win, 24-21. It's going to be fun. All right. Army's favored by seven. Uh, I'm, I'm just going to be contrarian here. Also, I'm going to pick uh, on the side of the team that's currently 9-2 and two and not the <laughs> not one that's 3-9. Three three and and nine. Nine. Hey, um, whatever. So use, your, say, use your so-called statistics or whatever. <laughs> your evidence. <laughs> uh, I'm going to pick uh, I'm going to pick Army to win this one. Uh, since they're running the triple option, they probably won't score much. It's going to be like 21-3. to three. Um, But Navy should know that... Uh, my picking army is kind of the kiss of death. Uh, I did pick Georgia to win <laughs> against Alabama as well. So. Oh my gosh, I actually totally forgot that you picked Georgia. That's right. Yeah, I picked huh. them in the national championship too. So, yeah. uh, Alabama pick, Nation. You should you pick should. Oklahoma. <laughs> I probably will. All right, so let's move on. Last thing I just want to discuss real quick because it happens this weekend is uh, the Heisman Trophy is being given out up here in New York City. Uh, the bed, you know, like the, the hotbed of college football, as, we, as we've talked about before. Yeah. So uh, I think the, the finalists are Tua, Tonga Vailoa, Kyler Murray, uh, Dwayne Haskins, I think Jonathan Taylor uh, from Wisconsin might be on the list, and I don't know who the fifth one is. Um, but uh, all reports seem to indicate that it's probably between Tua and Kyler. 
So, who are you going with? You said Kyler early, earlier, so I guess you yeah, destroyed the I am problem. going uh, definitely to go with Kyler Murray. And I think it's pretty close between uh, Kyler and Tua. I think uh, a few things are going to make me you know, tip the scale in, in favor of Kyler. One, I want him to win the Heisman so that we have motivation to stop him. And I don't think Oklahoma needs any more motivation for with Tua winning the Heisman. Uh, that's a sort of a thing. The real things are um, on the biggest stage in their championship games, Tua laid an egg, whether he was injured or not, and Kyler really showed up and played a great game. So I think that's going to be in the Heisman voters' minds, and I think it should be. Uh, when Tua played tougher competition, he definitely had a tougher time than earlier in the season when he was playing against – uh, easier defenses. The other thing is, uh, Kyler's got him in passing yards, which could be uh, by 700 uh, passing yards. Could be that because he played in the fourth quarter. Yep, that's, most of the time. That's fine. He played in the fourth quarter, but he's thrown more passes and his completion percentage is higher, 71% to two is 67.7%. Um, yards per attempt are higher for Kyler Murray. Their yards per completion are the same. At 16.8. Uh, two has thrown three fewer interceptions. Um, but the quarterback rating that we, you know, the passer rating or whatever, uh, Kyler actually has a higher rating now after the championship games at 205.7 to 2 is 202.3. Um, and then the thing where Kyler really takes off, I think. So I think he's actually got him in passing. His completion percentage is higher. His passer rating's higher. And then in terms of rushing, Kyler just destroys Tua. Uh, he's got 892 yards to Tua's 190 uh, for 7.3 yards per rush. And then total touchdowns, he's got nine more than Tua does. And so even, like, you can go and get deeper into the math, but even when you account for uh, the, the quality of defenses that they played, Kyler still comes out on top, actually, statistically. And so given they're, they're relatively even. It's not like Kyler's blowing them out statistically, uh, even when you go percentages. But when you then add in not only the passing, but also the rushing, what Kyler's able to do with his legs, uh, I think it's pretty clear to me that Kyler had the better season. If Tua had shown up, uh, really, <laughs> if he had done anywhere, like just maybe one more completion or something, uh, then maybe two is up there in the conversation with Kyler. But I think because of how they play in the championship games and then statistically where Kyler Murray stands out is not only the passing but also the running yards, I, I think Kyler should win the Heisman Trophy. But sometimes people are able to vote early, right? So some of the votes were already in before the conference championships. Am I right? Uh, I mean, possibly. I don't know, um, which I think would be a shame. Um, right. Although it I think some people, I think I think some people look at it anyway and put two a number one. I mean, w first of all, they, they rank them, so you have to vote all of them in some position. So two will get points. It's not like you vote this guy and then nobody else. Mm -hmm. um, and so two will get points, but uh, I, I think it would be a shame if Kyler didn't win. He had an incredible season, especially with the defense that he had. He really had to carry that team at times, um, and he did, and he did that really well. And so I think. Uh, he had the better season. Uh, I think he's the best player uh, in college football, whatever you think that means. Uh, and so I think he should win the Heisman. And I think he will. Uh, I mean, because when you look back at like when Derrick Henry 
when Mark Ingram won the Heisman. It was they had okay seasons. Then toward the end, they really ramped it up and won it. Uh, Tua did the opposite, started hot and then just kind of faded. He had more like a Leonard Fournette season that he had a couple of years ago with Kyler. Sure. That's just kind of been great all season. Um, so steady, consistent, constantly putting up numbers. Um, so, I mean, I, I hope he wins because I think he deserves it. All right. Well, even if he doesn't win, he's got like a $5 million Major League Baseball contract waiting for him. So I'm not <laughs> sure he'll be crying. That's true. It'd be interesting uh-huh. if a guy wins the Heisman and then goes plays professional baseball. It'd be fun. <laughs> <laughs> very possible. Very, very Pretty possible. Pretty awesome. I mean, just a freak athlete. Man. The guy's unbelievable. Yeah. Um, okay. So that's it for our show this week. Uh, we suspect we'll be back next week. Uh, there aren't any bowl games until uh, next weekend. Um, some of those look like they could be interesting, but there's just a lot of news buzzing about the college football world. So, um, we will probably be back next week to talk about it. Sounds good. All right. So, uh, find us on iTunes, find us on Google play, Stitcher, Spotify, and where you do find us, please rank and review us or rate and review us. You can't rank us. Um, <laughs> we have a committee. Anyway, we had a committee. It does help with our, our rankings. Um, So that's it for us. I will podcast at you folks later. See you.